0: Let us pray. Lord Jesus, um, we thank you uh, that you have called us to be the aroma of Christ. Uh, But Lord, uh, as we are joyous in that, um, Lord, we we hope that you would help us understand the implications of that this morning and that we would ever rely and trust in you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, we're gonna talk um this morning. Uh Second Corinthians chapter two, uh, verses fourteen through seventeen. And uh I, don't, I always feel like you know, Second Corinthians is sort of the the little brother of first Corinthians. No one ever really gets around to it. Uh, but it's a really great letter and there are all these little um wonderful things in it and um I've been struck recently by um, a lot of Christian lingo about being the aroma of Christ. Let us be the, you know, almost as an exhortation. We should be the aroma of Christ in the world. And um, and yet, let's hear what St. Paul has to say about being the aroma of Christ and uh, decide how good or bad a thing that is. So let's, so let's look at it. Paul writes, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession through us, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. The word of the Lord. Um, so... So a lot of you might be here simply because the title is very catchy, and um, and normally I try to make the title catchy, and it normally has nothing to do with the class, but just to <laughs> you in. But it actually does this morning, and um, the parallel between Leonard Skinner's song "That Smell" and um, and Roman triumphal processions, and um, for those of you that that know Leonard um, they. Um, They really went for it. And there was a point in time in their career where it was really getting... Their musical career was taking off, but their personal lives were really in bad shape. And one of the members of the band was in a really terrible car accident in Jacksonville, Florida. And it really got it got Ronnie Van Sant's attention. And, uh, of course, they were heavy into drugs and things like that. And uh, that smell actually refers to uh, the phenomenon amongst uh, you all probably already know this: heroin addicts uh, that if they smell heroin cooking, perfect timing, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Winston. Y'all can y'all can actually sit here. Here, I'll sit places. I'm just kidding. Sit there. So uh, if they can smell heroin cooking, it it um, it. Uh, it's like a lasso that draws you back in, and so Van Sant is talking about living in the context of all drugs, sex and rock and roll, and, and how it's like a tractor beam uh, pulling you back in. And uh, he said that he wrote that smell uh, because he had a creepy feeling, this is his own quote, I had a creepy feeling that things were going against us, so I thought I'd write a morbid song as a warning. And uh, a couple lines from it, tomorrow might not be here for you, and the smell of death uh, surrounds you. And so even in the midst of what outwardly is... an incredibly successful rock band and you know i was caught by my wife and daughters uh free it the other day in the driveway i didn't I, you know you know sometimes the song's so good you just kind of sit in the car and even though you've got it on your ipod it's like you know you own dvds like everybody owns sleepless like oh, sleepless in seattle or what's the other? you've got mail everyone owns it but you still find yourself watching it with commercials on lifetime and you're just too lazy to get up and and put it in the DVD. so it's one of those moments and um and uh and i really really uh great feel good music, and yet um what Van Sant is saying is that, "Ah, your experience of this is one thing, but my experience of it is something else and of course they died uh a number of them died tragically, um not due to heroin or parting but because of a plane crash, and you can go there it's in Louisiana um But uh, St. Paul pretty much says the same thing, and he says, uh, he compares being the aroma of Christ. uh, That is, being a Christian. And whether you like it or not, as a Christian, um, you smell. And uh, you ought to smell like Jesus. And there are lots of things that you can do to cover it up, but at the end of the day, that's what you smell like. And he alludes to Roman triumphal processions. And what a Roman triumph was, was that after any great victory was won, so like when um, Scipio defeated Carthage, uh, they would have a great triumphal procession, and what would happen is the general in charge of the legions would would ride in Rome, the streets of Rome, and they would be packed. It was a lot, I mean, the modern-day equivalent would be like a ticker tape parade, and they would ride to the front, and there the emperor would place the laurel wreath upon his head. And not just was he joined by the soldiers who were there returning back from this great triumph, but he was also, they also brought along in the parade, the spoils of war, including slaves. And they would burn incense and there were lots of religious rituals that would go along with it. The general would actually go up to the Temple of Jupiter and sacrifice. And so here's the great irony is that on the one hand, to the Roman, anytime one of these triumphal processions happened, It had a very distinct smell to it, right? That was the only smell. And um, for the Romans, it was the smell of victory. Now, but what if you were a slave captured in Carthage and you found yourself in this foreign city? Um, That same smell wouldn't smell like victory to you, would it? It would smell like what? Bondage, defeat, the end. The same thing having two very different meanings uh, for two uh, different individuals. And um, the smell is is a powerful sense. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, I still, there are certain smells that when I smell them, it's like a time machine. And all of a sudden, you're transported back to your childhood, or you think immediately. So for me, one of the things is, is freshly mown grass or, or hay. Like immediately, I, I go back. To my childhood, and um, certain houses, well, everybody's house has a certain smell to it, uh, but certain houses, we walked into one the other day, and it was like, I had to sit, I was like, whoa, I was waiting for my grandmother to come around the corner, and it smelled <laughs> just like my grandmother's house, and, um, and uh, so you, you all have, have those things, and it's, uh, it's not necessarily, in a, it's, it's a vivid reaction, I guess is what I'm trying to say, to those types of smells. And so it is that if you're a Christian and you're in the world and you encounter people in the world, they're going to react. That smell is going to do something to them and they're going to react. Now, when we talk about the aroma of Christ in Christian circles, typically we talk about it as a good thing. I want to be the aroma of Christ in my workplace. I want to be the aroma of Christ wherever, in my school, I want to be, you understand what I'm saying. And yet what St. Paul is saying here is to Christians, you smell really good. But to non-Christians, you smell terrible, right? And when you smell terrible, I, get away from me, get away from me. So it should be no surprise. So when Jesus says, you know, look, if they've hated me, they're going to hate you. um, That's not, they might hate you. Or if only you can sort of share the gospel or be the aroma of Christ in a winsome way, they'll like you. Uh, but in fact, if you do that, they're not going to like you. They're not going to like you unless unless God actually intervenes in the life of the smeller, unless God intervenes in the life of the hearer and gets their heart and their nose and their ears ready to receive uh, what you have to say. Now, most of us, uh, at this point, uh, probably don't um, go up to uh our coworkers or people that that we'd like to see become Christians and say, um, are you saved? Um, or you know, we don't go up to people in the grocery store and say, turn or burn. Right? We we typically <laughs> don't do it. And, and and we right, right, I did I tried it at Whole Foods once and uh and Lay said, How how much turkey do you want? I said, Three quarters of a pound. Turn or burn. And um, <laughs> So um, so we can understand that having a reaction, right? We can understand people being like, "Oh, gross, you're, you're one of those." Um, and you know, especially when you first become a Christian, I mean, you're ready to charge hell with a water pistol, like you're ready to go. You're ready to make it happen. You want to get out there, and you, you, you want to do those things. And it's not so much after time. I don't think that I do think that in some ways we take the gospel for granted, and we get lazy about it. Absolutely. Uh, but I think that the overwhelming factor is, uh, at least in my life, is I want people to think that I smell nice. <laughs> right? I, I want, I want to be thought of as, as palatable. And I do want to, you know, people say, well, Andrew, you share the gospel in such a winsome way. Well, that's because y'all are Christians. Like, yeah, you say that because you're Christians, but what if you're a non-Christian uh, listening to what I have to say? Well, one of two reactions happens. Uh, one is um, repulsion. Even, it's the sweetest news in a sinner's ear to hear that Jesus Christ died for you and he loves you, right? Rationally speaking, who wouldn't be into that, right? Think, if I went and I asked people on the street, would you like to go to heaven? I've yet to meet anyone that says no, right? Saying that you want to avoid hell is not a spiritual decision, right? It's not a spiritual decision at all. It's it's expedient, and um, and yet, um There's something about the gospel being the aroma of Christ that is a turnoff for people if you put it out there, even in a winsome way. And you all have loved ones in your family that uh, they're just loaded for bear. They're loaded for bear. And in my family, I have family members that will not taunt me, but they really actually want me to sort of say something, and yet... The other side is sort of ready to to react uh, viscerally, and of course, inevitably, what they'll do is they'll get mad at me, and then they'll they'll redirect it. And why they get so upset is uh, because, well, one, it's how the world views Christianity. Right? The world is not a friend to Christianity, and I was struck recently. I was talking to a friend, and um, oh gosh, who wrote the uh, the Rise and decline of the Roman Empire. The big everyone had it. Grants, thank you. If you read the opening uh, chapter to his book, and you just read the description of the Roman Empire when it opens up, it's today. It's today. I mean, without I mean, there's no discussion of politics. It's just sort of a, a description of of what's going on. And so it reminds me of that New Yorker cartoon where there are two barbarians heading toward the gates of Rome, and the one of them looks at the other and says is it me or is just the world going to hell? And, um, and so nothing new was under the sun. And there's always been a violent reaction toward Christianity. And you see it played out in the New Testament. We actually see it played out in Galatians, which we heard this morning, and in the church in Corinth. Because on the one hand, people either say, even if, let's just deal with people who would be somewhat open to it, religiously inclined first. Their reaction is one of two things. One, this is great news, but what role do I have to play in it? Right. Surely, surely, simple faith in Jesus is not enough to save me, and so I need to add something to it. No, no one ever articulates it that way. No one ever says, "I need to add something to Jesus." And so it's very nuanced. And what they will, what they will do and manifest in their life are things like, they'll say, um, very good example. Um, You may be, this is, we don't know that St. Francis necessarily said this, but you may be the only Bible that people read. Your life may be the only Bible that people read. Well, Lord have mercy, right? Right. and and so uh, what they'll say is, you know, that uh, the intervention of God in somebody else's life is not enough. And so you have to sort of position your life in such a way that if someone doesn't believe in Jesus, it's because of you. It's because of you. Now, um, on the other hand, one of the other reactions is just to go crazy and say, well, uh, I have Jesus in my life now, so it really doesn't matter uh, what I do. And I just kind of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it. Uh, but let me tell you, if you're a believer and you have the Holy Spirit in your life, uh, you can't get too far away from the cross before the Holy Spirit starts working in your life and says, wait a minute, it's, it's really, it's jarring. Um, but it's hard for human beings to be able to receive what Jesus Christ has done for them in general because we're not predisposed to receiving grace, love, favor, or anything. I mean, think about uh, one of my favorite illustrations is lunch. Right? No one really in our culture allows anybody to take care of anybody else. So if you have a friend uh, and you go out to lunch and you pick up the lunch, you know, the little tug and war, like, no, I'll get it. No, 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 I'll get it. No, I'll get it. Okay, okay. So you pick up the lunch, and even though you think that you're doing it out of grace and favor and because they're such a good friend, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, and they'll say it, I'll get it next time. Right, but then the next time you're at lunch and you're haggling again, and somehow the check falls to you again, <laughs> turns out it wasn't so graceful, was it? You know, you know, you're, you're thinking it's 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 your turn. Um, I have seen, and I don't know if I should even say this, but I, I find I think that this is harder for men than for women. But but being in the hospital and allowing someone like a nurse who's trained to do that to take care of you, nothing to do with it. Like, I, I've encountered a number of people who uh, who have fallen out of the bed trying to do something they ought not to because they simply wouldn't ask the nurse uh, to help them. I have a friend who's a doctor, and he said, if the world were populated by men, you'd only need two doctors. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. And so we're not naturally inclined to, to and, and you know, to ask for help. I mean, how many times, I mean, I, I'm i famous for, like, trying to carry all this kind of stuff and someone's saying, hey, can I help you? And my involuntary response is, no, 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 I've got it, I've got it, uh, when in fact, of course I need help, of course I need help. And so it's not in our nature to, to want to ask people for help, much less complete and total rescue. But let's, let's look at how ridiculous it sounds. Let's say that you're on an ocean liner and you've, you've fallen off, you, you know, you were enjoying a Mai Tai and you just went overboard, and uh, thankfully there was somebody strolling along the deck who was not drinking a Mai Tai and saw you in the water, and they threw you one of those little orange life donuts and, and, uh, and they pulled you to safety, and as you stood there soaking wet, your life had flashed before your eyes, you'd been snatched from the clutches of death. What do you say when you get on deck? thank you right thank you and yet when it comes to christianity uh everyone likes to say things uh, saying that you have a part to play and why this is so difficult spiritually speaking is because in the same example what a lot of people in the world want to say is that instead of saying thank you lord for saving me it's as if they'd say do you see how through my own will i reached out and grabbed that inner tube and and i held on so tight and and pulled to safety it's a good thing i had my wits about me when you spotted me thrashing in the water It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? And yet and yet that is what the world is like that we're dealing with. And so the world is no friend. And in fact, when Jesus says, If they hate me, they're gonna hate you basically if if there's not that tension and that friction that exists between your life as a Christian and the life of the world, then there's a disconnect. There's a real disconnect, and that's because one of the things that the world reacts violently to is this whole notion that Jesus wants to be king of your life. Uh, One of the things that I think is really amazing recently, we have all girls, but right now our two-year-old is into this mine thing. It was her first word, mine. This is mine. But what makes it amazing is not so much that she would say, this is mine, this is mine but she understands us. Well, she understands me, I wouldn't say it. So she'll go up to something, she'll go up to my car keys and she'll grab them and she'll say, these are mine. And, and instead of me just sort of lying to me like, like, my interactions, no, they're mine. No, those are mine. That's yours. No, these are mine. And. A two-year-old gets it, right? She, everybody thinks, you know, it, it's they're out for theirs, and they want to be able to have control of their lives. And the moment uh, that uh, someone says, look, first of all, you being in control of your life gets you thrown overboard, uh, and, and you're just thrashing around, uh, you need to let go. Uh, people don't want to hear that they're better off allowing the God of the universe to be in control of their lives. No... And even for Christians, that's real hard. That's real hard. I mean, it's sort of like the guy who fell off the cliff and grabbed onto the root, and, and he said, please, God, save me. And he hears a voice from heaven saying, just let go. And he says, is there anybody else up there? No. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean even, even in those moments when God actually intervenes in our lives, we, we really don't want much uh, to do with him. Uh, that and a lot of people view Christianity as being in bondage. Uh, and that it's too Christianity is too constricting, and if I become a Christian, I'm going to have to stop doing thus and such and start doing thus and such. And in some sense, yeah, they're right. But it's not like some sort of plan uh, for your life. It actually happens organically, whereby the Holy Spirit begins to change your life but a lot of people don't like that. And those of you who became Christians later in life, if you became a Christian in college, uh, you probably experienced this, that one of the great fears is friends. Now, ironically, I was a Christian well before college. But when I got to college, I started losing Christian friends, which I kind of thought was funny, but um, but for good reason. And um, <laughs> that's another story for another time. But but a lot of people are afraid of, of the, the constraints that, that Christianity may put on on their lives and that's because they're under the, one they're under the misconception that christianity is primarily about rules and regulations and behavior and yet you can go listen to my sermon this morning uh, that christianity is actually primarily concerned about freedom that if you really want to be to did the beeper go off or you just have heard it before okay <laughs> that that um that christianity is primarily about freedom and and making you free to actually live out your human potential Jesus said that in John 10 I have come that they might have life and life to the full meaning if you want to exhaust life of its potential it has to be through Jesus Christ that you're not living life to its fullest unless you're living it through Jesus and yet there is a great fear there uh, but I think Bob Dylan wisely points out you got to serve somebody you know everybody everybody is a slave to something to someone, and yet, um, who are you going to serve? You know, Paul talks about in Galatians five, and we heard it this morning, talking about uh, being broken down under the yoke of slavery. Right? You can feel it on your shoulders, and a lot of people actually feel this physically—that they can feel the burden of the world in their lives breaking down on them, and they—they're just—they can't stand it anymore. Yeah, Jesus also uses language like, uh, Come unto me, all you that are uh, heavy travailed or heavy laden, and I will refresh you, for my burden is easy and my yoke is light. Meaning, yes, you have to serve somebody. And yet, who is that going to be? Is that going to be um, yourself, the world, whatever idol that, um, that you have? And ironically, the thing that we tend to serve is the very thing that we think is going to free us in the world and yet ends up turning out to be our master. The very thing that we think is the key to freedom is the thing that keeps us in bondage. And yet, um, with Jesus, it's, it's a life of freedom. It's, it's a life of peace that is no slavery at all, in the sense that we think of. It's, it is uh, in whose service is perfect freedom, uh, but it's a service, it's, it's a servitude, uh, not as a servant and a master, but as a child to a parent. And um, one of the things that you will see when you are around children that, I mean, two or three is a pretty good age and you get into a group setting. Um, Children, uh, unless you actually have, if you have a child like this, you know, good for you. Uh, But most two or three year olds sort of don't walk into an unfamiliar crowded room and say, you know, here I am. Uh, Normally they do what? They grab hold of their parents, they hide behind them, they grab hold... Right, and and why? Because the safest place in the world to them is with their parents. And that physical... As long as I'm holding on to mom or dad, I can be in this room full of crazy people and I know nothing is going to harm me and that I'm okay so long as I'm here. And even when you try to sort of say, okay, it's really okay, they flip out. They think that you're throwing them into shark-infested waters when, of course, you're not. But, you know... um, you, I mean, you might say that that in in that sense that um, uh, children are wholly reliant upon their parents not just for the for their temporal needs but also for their emotional needs and and that's the way God works with us is that in Him we feel perfect confidence that no matter what we're going through in life uh, that we are safe in Him. One of the other things that um, that I've been asking people who are family members who are being antagonistic toward me, um, I ask them, well, you tell me why you think people ought to become Christians. Why become a Christian? And I've gotten lots of responses, well, because um, life is better. I said, well, I mean, in a sense, yes, I I do think that, that life is better, but sometimes it's not. Right, I, I think the things that wake me up in the middle of the night are the same things that wake uh, non-Christians up in the middle of the night. Um, it's not as if you know uh, because I'm a Christian uh, I'm not going to worry about my mortgage payment, right? Or um, or I'm a Christian and so my children are very well behaved. Uh, or you know I'm I'm a Christian and so you know um, I I can do you know in, in my house I don't have to fulfill my obligations as a dad and a husband. Of course not. I mean uh, that life uh still has its in sometimes extreme cases complications. So just saying that it's a better life, well, I don't well doesn't Christianity make you happier? Well, yes. Uh it does, but that, you know, doesn't mean that it's that it's a sustained happiness and that you don't go through ebb and flow and and what I hear a lot of times is that even from non Christians, the perspective is that Christianity is just another option amongst other self help things. That uh that Christi- they have a utilitarian view of Christianity that, well, I'll give it a try because it seems like it might improve my life. And if it doesn't improve my life, uh then um then I'll just move on uh to something else. And yet uh what we find in the Bible, and there's a very um uh it's very funny when Talking about repentance, uh, we're told that uh, that in Acts that God commands that all repent. He commands that we repent. It's not um, here's an option for you, uh, but He commands it. And why? Uh, why do we? Why are we Christians? Why is it that we worship on Sundays? Why is it that this is part of our life? It's because Jesus is who He said He was, or He is who He says He is. Right? It's not. Um, and if Jesus is who he said he is, then um, we have no choice but to believe on him. And we know that the world is not going to want to hear that for all the things that we've talked about it. Uh, but what I want to challenge us us with as, as we finish up, um because I think I'm gonna go get Lily. Is all right? Okay. I'm just trying to see, I'm trying to be a good husband and dad. Um, <laughs> to figure out a child moving them around. It's like moving pieces. Is that In the world that we live in, as the aroma of Christ, we're going to get around people and it's going to be like death. They're not going to like us. Um, and and sometimes it's not even about going out of your way. Sometimes it's just simply about you uh, being you. And I think it's kind of funny when uh, Paul talks about, you know, if if your enemy is treating you this way, this is what you should do. Uh, and you should be really kind and generous to them, uh, for it's for by doing this you're heaping burning coals upon their head. I always think that's a funny thing. So oh great, tick them off even more. That's exactly what I want to do. Um, but uh, but even as the world hates us, uh, what what God calls us to do is to love them, right? And that's gospel reenactment right there. Uh, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were the ugliest we've ever been to God, God loved us. More than he ever had. And so, simply, because it's easy to say, well, the world hates us, forget them. But rather than than that, we're in the world but not of the world. But what the gospel calls us to do is to engage the culture, which sometimes is in agreement with us, but not always. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because at the end of the day, uh, what we're holding out is the truth of life that there is one named Jesus Christ who came to earth and dwelt among us and died and was raised again for everybody, for everybody. And why share the gospel is because uh, that does change your life. It gives you a whole new perspective. It makes you more self-aware. There is joy. uh, And it allows you to live life and life to the full Again, that doesn't mean sunshine and lollipops, uh, but what it means is real and radical change and actually engenders love and compassion in the world in which we live in. I mean, one of the things that the church has really abdicated recently, and if you look uh, over the past several centuries, uh, let's just look at America, for instance. Um, who founded all of America's f- first colleges? Church. Christians, right? Who founded all the hospitals? Christians. Who founded all the social service agencies? Christians. Christians. Right? Why? Because of Jesus. Because that's what Jesus calls us to do. He calls us to engage the world with the gospel and and to love on them, even when they're hating us. And um, and of course, I mean, there's another option. You know, we could all be like the Amish and and go, you know, get a a big compound. Uh, uh, David Tanner makes really good butter. He can churn it for us. Is David in here? <laughs> but uh, but what what I. But when it comes to uh, the world's reaction to where we are, it's it's never going to be favorable. But what we have to trust in is God to intervene by the power of his Holy Spirit in people's lives. And you think back on your own life. I don't know what your stories are, how you became Christians. Uh, but you're a Christian today, not because of some rational decision that you made, but because God intervened in your life. Uh, Because God used somebody to speak the gospel to you, whether it was a preacher, whether it was a grandmother, whether it was a mother, uh, somebody uh, told you uh, the word of life. And um, my life is repeated instances of that until one day it clicked. I don't know about you, but um, Jesus is right when he said a prophet is never honored in his hometown. And this tends to to manifest itself, especially with family. You'll be telling a family member for years and years that they ought to do something and they never listen. And then you overhear somebody else saying the same exact thing that you've been saying to them. And they say, now that is a good idea. And you're like, ah! Um, you never know when God is going to intervene. And it's our job to sow the seeds and the Holy Spirit will, will water those seeds and, and to be faithful in that. Um, but never be ashamed of the gospel. It is such sweet news, and, uh, and we offer it to people uh, because, well, we're commanded to, uh, but also because of what it does for us and because it's true, and uh, it works because it's true. It's not true because it works, and uh, I would challenge us with that, especially uh, in the world in which we live. Uh, where there is ever-increasing hostility, but that's just part of the cycle of things, and that's what happens, and that our eyes are not uh, to be on those things, but are to be fixed upon Jesus and upon this world uh, for whom he died, and, uh, and he came not to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So questions, comments, concerns? Anybody? You no know any more letters to store. <laughs> I do. I've actually been I've actually been to the wreckage site. Um it's it's got Jack Daniels bottles everywhere that for some reason are never full. Um, you know, you think if they really cared about them they would have put a full bottle there, but they they didn't. So you can you can go to the site and there's a, a kind of cut through a fence and the yeah. people who own the property are very happy for people to go back and do that. So yeah. Okay. Bob Dylan is going to be in Tuscaloosa this Wednesday. And so, um, it's, I'm sure this will be the last time I'll ever be in Tuscaloosa. So you gotta go. <laughs> go now. So that's, uh, that, I I'm not trying to milk time, but, um, my, my dad, um, we were talking the other day about the number, of, like, isn't it incredible how the Grateful Dead stays around? Like, wouldn't they just go away? <laughs> and um, and so, uh, you know, it's like the Don Henley song, you know, uh, boys would say, you know, I saw a, a deadhead sticker on a Cadillac, uh, but now Lauren and I were remarking at the number of girls who are like freshmen and girls who are freshmen and sophomore in college and have Grateful Dead stickers on their car, and I'm just trying to figure out what that means, and, um, but... Um, but my dad's favorite joke is What did the Deadhead say when he ran out of drugs? This music stinks, man! So I <laughs> so just, uh, so just keep that in mind. Charles, you can open it. So. Okay. Uh, something to take with you this week. Oh, God, what's my favorite? They were on I think it was CNN or Headline News this past week doing a salute to the troops. They look pretty weathered. Yeah, they're still around. Um, Of course, they lost Ronnie Van Sant. A lot of them, but they've they've kind of been doing. um, They've um, they've aged very roughly. Yeah, it it shows what they've been up to. Sure. Well, not like any of us. Y'all look great. Let's pray. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we thank you uh, that we are the aroma of Christ. But Lord, um, we have trepidation in our hearts. Um, We're anxious. Nobody likes to be dismissed or unloved, but Lord, we pray that we would rest in the knowledge of your love and in this world, which is broken and sinful, that we would be put in touch with our own brokenness and our own sinfulness, and that we would seek to reach out to those whom we disagree with, uh, even those who are enemies of the gospel, uh, and love them as you would have us love them And thereby, uh, maybe, Lord, use us to bring them to the knowledge uh, of you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.